0: Hi, my name is Marissa Klein. I'm the founder of Choice Fashion and Media and co host of the career inspiration podcast, The Dreamcatchers. And I am Jamie Stozer, the other co host of The Dreamcatchers and the VP of Fashion and Media, at Choice Associates. Up next is a special edition of The Dreamcatchers. We've curated our favorite dreamers and doers for an inspirational conversation. Thanks for joining us and hope you enjoy. Good morning, everybody. We're gonna get started. You ready for us, Ming? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm Marissa Klein from Choice Associates and the Dreamcatchers, and that's my sister. Hi, everybody, I'm Jamie Stozer, Thanks for coming. And I I have, we have this incredible panel for you, um, thanks to Paola and Brooke and her team here at MPZ and this amazing space that I love to call a second home of Bellworks. And I wanna say that you're here today to learn a little bit about Personal finance and I want to make sure in case anybody's wondering I am a total fraud And don't have any of the skills that these people have about to 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 gift us and I lose my ATM card at least 15 times a day so I will be listening and perhaps be taking I should be taking notes, but I'll be working So if someone else can take notes for me, that'd be awesome um, and we usually will let our panel introduce themselves. Um, Jamie, is there anything you'd like to say before everybody starts doing that? No, I, as Marissa said, we'll have our panel introduce themselves, and as she mentioned, um, we are here today as an extension of the Bell Works team. We uh, run a staffing firm in Manhattan. My dad has been in business for 45 years. We run a division of that, so we're recruiters by trade. Um, we help people get jobs, and mostly in media and, and fashion, so not in finance always but we do work on those types of jobs and we also have a podcast about career and we love being here as an extension of that podcast about you know talking to people about what they do and why and you know have an opportunity to give some nuggets of wisdom to our audience so thank you for coming Um, we are gonna go ahead and down the line do you have a mic where's yours no. also I know this feels kind of formal but it's not formal so if you want to get up and have coffee and does all those incredible there pastries please down. do so don't feel like you can't stand up and walk around now we're good
1: okay
2: oh. yep
0: okay so we're gonna just go down the line and have our panelists um, introduce themselves everybody here is in the finance space obviously and does similar yet different work so we're gonna have you just introduce yourself where you work what you do just a quick you know couple of lines about yourself
2: Hi, my name is Elena Ladigna, and I'm a wealth advisor and a partner at and Wealth Management. Um, and really my focus is helping my clients with their financial planning and investment needs, uh, really kind of connecting the dots to make sure that they're making optimal decisions in their financial lives. We have offices in New York and New Jersey, um, and I've been in this business for more than 15 years and love it. Hi, can you hear me? Okay, I'm Pam Persky. I actually, I've.
1: Have- been in the wealth management family office business for the last 20 years, and around a year ago, I left a very large multifamily office. I was running their New York office. Um, we managed 150. Oh, we managed money for 150 clients that represented 25 billion dollars. So the average family was a bit north of 100 million, um, and I started my own business because that there's so many changes happening in the industry, I'm sure we're gonna talk through it, and I really wanted to be able to help clients Earlier in their life cycle, before they sold the business, before they monetized some of their wealth, so I could be there throughout all those different inflection points with them. So it's been a crazy ride. It's been exactly a year um, tomorrow. So no way, um, that's yeah. good oh, time. Yes. happy so, anniversary. So I did it, and um, I have eight clients so far. So I've been really thrilled and happy. I made the leap. Good for you. Yeah. I love it.
3: Thanks, Pam. Uh, My name is Keith Owitz. Uh, I'm a financial advisor uh, for Edward Jones, located here in Bell Works. Uh, Full service uh, financial advisor, which means uh, I'm licensed in securities, as well as insurance. Uh, All designed to help uh, accumulate wealth and protect your wealth. Uh, So, um, you know, as part of wealth management, Uh, I provide solutions based advice, uh, such as helping individuals, families, small businesses uh, plan for their retirement, plan for comfortable retirements, Uh, also plan for Kids' college education, 529 plans uh, for um, both grandparents as well as uh, families. Um, Plan for the unexpected as well as do estate planning considerations. So if you have any uh, financial planning needs and you're local within the community and you feel like you need some financial advice, uh, feel free to call my offices.
4: John Marchetti, Managing Partner for Monarch Benefit Advisors. We are located in this building. We have a two-prong approach. We are a full-service insurance brokerage. So we specialize in benefits, employee benefits, and PNC, Property and Casualty Policies for small businesses. And our other side is tax-free retirement strategies as well as life insurance. So we're a little bit different than some of the folks up here because we use insurance products versus financial products, but we do work uh, in the same wheelhouse. House and hand-in-hand hand with them. So if anybody is interested in anything like that, if you own a small business or any kind of tax-free retirement, we'll be glad to sit down with you.
5: Good morning. My name is Kapil Rathi. I'm the founder and CEO of a six-month-old startup. We are a crypto trading venture. Uh, I have been on Wall Street for about 25 years, started started my career in, in technology at AT&T, and t Uh, about a couple of miles from here in Middletown, and uh, just got sick of sitting behind the computer, moved to finance, I traded on New York Stock Exchange floor, then I moved into the high-frequency trading algorithmic trading business, and for the past two, three years, I've been following cryptocurrencies very closely. I'm sure you guys all have heard about Bitcoin, blockchain technology. There is a lot happening on Wall Street, how the cryptocurrencies are essentially just disrupting the banking business, the investment business, and we are now, we just started our own venture to just take advantage or leverage this new phenomena that's uh, disrupting the Wall Street.
0: That's awesome. So I use Venmo. Okay. Uh, Sorry. Was that not appropriate? Only only when you can't find your ATM card. Yeah. So just quickly, before we keep going, we're going to do a raffle at the end. Uh, we have a couple cute questions or a quick question that we're going to raffle off. And just to go over the prize fast, um, we're going to raffle off a consultation with your choice of one of these guys up here that you know might work with your plans in some way, small business or individual. Um, a consultation with my sister and myself to do your resume or your LinkedIn or whatever else career-wise you might need. Um, a book from one of our colleagues who could not be here today. She wrote a book called The 30-Day Money Cleanse, where she basically took the idea of cleansing, how we all kind of do it with food, but what how you do that with money. Um, and she will send a signed copy of that, which is a, an awesome book. Um, so we're going to wrap off that little package of a prize at the end So stick around if you're interested in those Prizes and we have Some fun ways to win them um, So to move on a minute You know obviously we now got a little sense of what you all do, and obviously we have a bazillion questions, myself included, Um, but we do like to start these conversations because we think it's really interesting. I mean, all of us are so defined by what we do or what we don't do or where we go every day, and obviously this building is so gorgeous. I'd love to ask the question to each of you. doesn't matter what order we go in. One, do you work at Bellworks, which a couple of you have talked about working here, and obviously one of the reasons this event was created by the team at NPZ Design, who is our amazing creative director at Bellworks who then is responsible for all of the buzz events that happen for the building to bring people in so I'd love to know who here works in this building anybody and so who here is just here to visit today so there's a lot of people. welcome everybody anybody here that has never been in the building before Amazing. Thank you for coming. So, yes, Kelly, who works for me. Thanks, Kel. Um, so, you she know. She came ask- the furthest, I think. Yeah, she came from Ohio. I don't know what they're. <laughs> the Russell, you came from Ohio. Go blue, by the way, man. Go blue. There he is. Um, So I went to Michigan. I always have to throw that in somewhere when we're talking about Ohio. But anyhow, um, you know, welcome to the building. Obviously, it's a gorgeous space. I'd love to hear from our panelists a little bit about, A, do you work at Bellworks? And if you do, why? Um, But also kind of how you got into what you do. Like, why do you do what you do? And we usually start that question with what you wanted to be when you grow up. So it's a kind of a twofold question. Like, what did you want to be when you grow up? Are you doing anything like that? And then we can talk about the Bell Works piece next. But I'd love to hear from you guys. Just we can Let's start on this end because he talked about his career already. So let's let like you talked about your growth and, and your launching pad. Like why to do you do, do what you do? Business. Yeah. But what? Who was who was Baby Capil? What What did you want to do Baby. way back when? <laughs> what was your original? Were you always into dream? numbers and math? Let's Let's right. start there.
5: Uh-huh. I'm sure I lost my mom I was baby couple But uh, <laughs> uh, no I think it's uh, it's an interesting journey and it's I always reflect and look back how I have reached where I am and one thing I always found sort of common theme I think I'm just lucky enough to follow my passion I started as a technologist um, op- When I was in high school, wanted to be in computers, went to programming school. Within six months, I realized programming is not for me. There's no way I can just sit behind the computer and spend all my day. Um, Went to business school, did MBA, and uh, after that, I moved into finance. And in finance, I went to the New York Stock Exchange trading floor. This is in 2002, 2003. So uh, if any of you remember how trading used to be, when traders were screaming and yelling at each other, um, just like 5,000 people in a large building. Uh, to me, as a, as a technologist, that felt like uh, very dinosaur-like. Like, why are these people yelling and screaming? <laughs> this is 2003. We just came out of uh, the internet revolution. And uh, one, one sort of common theme that's keep hitting me is how technology is changing industries after industries. What Apple is doing to the, or has done to the phone business, the music business, the media business. Um, Wall Street, honestly, has been pretty lucky so far. The the Silicon Valley hasn't really come into Wall Street. You still have bankers making seven-figure checks, more power to them. Uh, they, you still, if you want to go public, you still have to hire Goldman Sachs or Morgan Stanley, pay them six percent interest uh, cut on the entire raise. By the time you go public, I think eight, eight or nine cents of your dollar is already gone. So, in 2003, the electronic trading revolution was coming in. I shifted, I left my job at the New York Stock Exchange floor. I moved into electronic trading, worked with a lot of programmers to design new and new algo, and as you all know, right now, 90% of the, the trading business is run by computers. So, all the traders, honestly, unless they have changed themselves, they are... Uh, completely out of business. So I'll tell you a story. I went to Ray Katina the other day. There was a salesman. He asked me what I do. And he looked at me like, you're the reason why I'm selling this car. (laughs) Because I was a really star trader on New York Mercantile Exchange. And guys like you came in and now you just have taken my job so I'm long story short i not sure. going to
0: give you a good deal <laughs> <laughs> so you left la- you left there and didn't get go. the you car you upcharge in Katina. no
5: i felt guilty so i ended up in buying the car yeah. whatever price yeah. he asked for
3: yeah <laughs>
5: uh, but that just tells you that like the world is changing so fast and i kept looking at it two years ago i started looking into crypto And a lot of, I'm sure, probably some of you will argue that crypto is just a uh, a sort of uh, another uh, bubble. But for someone who's been in Wall Street for that long, there is so much power, so much um, potential in this new technology. Uh, This is probably the first time when Silicon Valley is coming on our turf. And that kind of, again, led me to move into the new New sort of segment in the market. So, bottom line, just kept following where I think the industry is going and never stayed with any specific job. And here I am.
0: Here you are. And here you are. In, Bell, about- works. in, in Bell, Bell Works. In Bell Works. <laughs> and what about you, John? What um, did you want to be when you grew up?
4: Oh, I knew from day one I wanted to be an insurance broker. No. <laughs> <laughs> you
0: absolutely.
2: dreamed of that yeah, at eight Absolutely, at eight, nine. absolutely mm-hmm.
4: not. Um, I actually was uh, in another lifetime ago was in the, uh, the record label music business. And I thought that was going to be it. Me I thought, I, yep. Yep. I thought I was going to be the next, uh, the next big A&R or the next big producer. And, um, after nine 11, and obviously that, that didn't happen. And, uh, I got into finance, like, like most gentlemen up here, uh, buying blocks of uh, money for BMW and loaning it out to their clients. And one of my clients was actually a CEO of an insurance company and I was looking to make a move. And, uh, uh, that's kind of how I got into insurance. I uh, was there for four or five years and realized I wanted to do my own thing. And that's when we opened our brokerage. Um, so that's kind of how that happened. Never in a million years that I think I would be in insurance. but How
0: long have you worked in the building?
4: Uh, we've been in the building about a year and a half. Our prior office was in Red Bank, which we loved, until we saw this building.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you see this building and you're like, and... Yeah, yeah.
4: Red Bank's great for the summertime, um, but, you know, during the winter, you could just walk downstairs, get something to eat. There's ample parking. Uh, if you know Red Bank, it's not very tight on parking. So, uh, this building was a no-brainer when, when we figured out, you know, it was here and we could really get in here. And I think a lot of people are starting to make the move into, into like, this, the spaces like this, the community spaces and the Metro Burbs and, and um, those kind of things. And so. also,
0: Paula and her team have done some really nice things in Amazing. the summer, I'm just saying
4: yeah she's
3: she's amazing over there Mm
0: -hmm. thank you paula and keith what did you want to be when you grew up
3: so when i grew up Uh, I wanted to be an orthodontist. (laughs) (laughs) This was, uh, like, at the age of 13. You know, all my friends were getting braces, believe it or not. And uh, I, myself, got braces as well and saw how lucrative this business was. And I was good in science and I was good in math, so I figured, hey, this would be a great career. Until my freshman year of college, when I, at 8 in the morning... uh, you know, I just couldn't deal with uh, the biology lab uh you know uh, you know dissecting frogs and the like. so I quickly transitioned to uh, a new major, and I studied business as well as computer science in college. And I really enjoyed the foundation of business. Uh, I concentrated in accounting and computers. I liked the language of business. I liked the science of accounting. It taught me the fundamentals of business. And that sort of gave me some initial direction. after graduating college, I decided to go into the entertainment industry. I worked for uh, MGM United Artists at the time in New York City, doing syndication accounting for Gilligan's Island. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. It only lasted a year back then. Computers were not really advanced. You worked on 13 column columnar type paper, and uh, it was quite boring. I did a couple of years in uh, banking before I landed uh, for a 25-plus year career at home box office. So I uh, always was attracted to entertainment, was pursuing ent- uh, television. At the time, You know, HBO was taking over the world. Uh, in terms of television, premium television was quite a new concept. America was becoming wired for cable. So I found this great company and started as a financial analyst working in the uh, accounting and planning group. Had an opportunity a year or two later to go into planning. Got my MBA, finance through HBO, in Wall Street at Pace University uh, in financial management and investments. And I started doing financial planning for the company. What I did there was I helped executives uh, put together and develop strategies and plans um, to reach their goals, their financial goals, and I helped HBO reach certain levels of financial success. I enjoyed the work. Uh, When I left HBO, which was only six years ago, I was uh, the uh, senior executive uh, running the strategic planning, financial planning, and M&A groups at HBO. Uh, It was a good ride, enjoyed the product, uh, Sopranos and Game of Thrones and Sex and the City. (laughs) <laughs> Everybody has a different favorite show. You put, you put show.
0: cupcakes on the map. <laughs> yeah. It's because of Carrie Bradshaw that everyone eats cupcakes for all those years. Yeah, and martinis, yeah. for and martinis. And martinis. Cosmos. Cosmos. Cosmos.
3: Absolutely. And yeah. shoes. Yeah. So, uh, so leaving the career about six years ago, uh, I you know, a little soul search to figure out what I do, what I like to do. Uh, and I figured out I really like to, uh, to help people figure out what their goals are. You know, I did it. So do we. <laughs>
1: you
3: know, so most of us do that here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, you know, guide them and advise them. So I looked for a financial firm, services firm. They all seemed to be interested in my background. Uh, And I picked what I felt to be the best firm, and that's Edward Jones. The best for culture, best for independence. They're the largest independent in the uh, country. 18,000 offices. Um, They manage over a trillion dollars of assets. There's zero debt. Their investment philosophy is to uh, invest in high quality uh, financial securities to help people achieve their goals. Um, and, um, and that's something I was very attracted to. So I've been with them several years now and opened up my practice here. That's sort of my story of how I got there.
0: So I, you still open a practice. It's just not an orthodontist practice. Though.
3: That's true. See, here we are. A- and instead of. You do know, you give I everyone come, stickers? Yeah. I do. If you come to my office. I probably, yeah.
0: Stickers. I survived.
3: I do need, you know, I do need to hand out some more premiums every time people come to leave with Uh, that's a that's a good business practice yeah but uh, I've been in this building since August of uh, last year and uh, it's been quite a a nice change changing my three three hour commute commuting to New York every day Mm -hmm. to eight minutes uh, which is uh, pretty awesome pretty awesome pretty convenient giving me a lot more time you know to spend on my business um So that's my story.
1: I love it. What about you, Pam? Great. Thank you. seems like a common theme here that people have had winding careers and that in the end they sort of chose something where they saw that their specific skill set and personality um, was more aligned. My, can you? Some back, back up? Okay. Uh, My story's similar. I wanted to be an architect um, and design buildings like this. I was, I thought I wanted to be an architect because I was great at math and art, but then I didn't realize there was like tons of physics involved and other things that I wasn't as interested in doing. And I was so interested in being an architect that I applied to a five year architect program Um, and at Penn State and I went to visit the school I went to the studio and I talked to some of the students there and they said yeah we're here all night every night there's not really any jobs here in the industry Um, we don't take any other courses other than architecture courses so we just have to wait till job comes and the future financial advisor in me said hmm I think I might change direction so nothing against architects i actually think what they do is fantastic but i i ended up not not even going to penn state i went to penn um and i just figured out um, what i wanted to do i transferred into um, wharton to do finance and i just followed the normal path of all the other students there i got a job in consulting strategy consulting so i Traveled around um, the world, helping uh, CEOs you know with their with their businesses, and um, then I ended up at a venture fund, starting up online businesses, and playing different roles in that. And then the dot com bust happened, so I saw it as a good time to just figure out really what my career was, what I was doing with my career. And I went back to business school, to Harvard Business School, really just to figure out where, what do I want to do with my life? Like what, you know, I've done some great, interesting things, but I don't really have a path. And I knew I wanted to work in finance. I thought I wanted to work in in investing. like at uh, an asset management firm. And then I heard about this world of wealth management, which I had never heard about before. And I said, oh, I get to advise people and who have real life, concerns, real life considerations. It's not just buy this stock, buy this bond. It's what do you want to accomplish in life? What do you want your family to accomplish? What is the meaning to you and what will this money afford you to do? And so I started out um, again, just sort of following the normal path. I started out, out at Morgan Stanley doing private wealth management um, in New York, and then I really just liked working at a bank, personally. I felt that I was more doing sales and selling products, and there was, um, there were conflicts, and I I just felt like it was a little bit internally competitive, so I, I wanted to find a different way to do it. So I found this multifamily office world um, where you know, it was fewer clients, more planning oriented. And so around 17 years ago, I, this, this multifamily office model was just getting started. I left um, and I joined a firm that was really just getting started. And I stayed with them for eight years as they grew from two billion of assets to eight billion and really helped see that industry expand. Um, and then I, you know, what I really wanted to do was learn, you know, all the things you can only learn so much in school. I really wanted to learn what is it like to actually do tax planning, to do estate planning, to do philanthropy, insurance, all like all the combined things that make up all these complexities in this industry. And so, you know, sort of learned from the ground up. And then I went to run the New York office for for probably the largest multifamily office. Um, And I did that for eight years and it was really rewarding. And then the firm got sold and i said you know what i'm ready to go out and do this for me now i sort of see the direction this industry is going with technology with low with a lot of the investment space becoming commoditized i said i want to keep costs low tax efficiency high lots of transparency lots of technology i want to give people an app and a platform so they're empowered to see their whole financial world in one spot and I want to do it as their partner so that they can call me and I can help them through all those important decisions. And so, you know, I had zero clients because I couldn't take any of my old clients given. But I said, I believe in what I'm doing. Um, and so I told the story one by one by one. And I finally feel like I'm at the right spot finally. Like, I, you know, it's, it's all come together for me that my... I'm sort of living what I believe now, you know, in the model I believe in that I can help create. And now you want to get a space
0: in Bellworks because you don't work here. (laughs) I
1: mean, this is amazing. I actually, I end up spending a lot of my time in LA, just so this would be a lot more convenient.
2: Yeah, totally. (laughs) Um, So my story uh, begins a little differently. I actually grew up in Siberia. Yes, that is Siberia, the one across the world. <laughs> um, and I, when I was growing up, I actually wanted to be a police woman. And I, and I think I wanted to be a policewoman because I wanted to help people. I sort of always had that caring and nurturing type of uh, natural personality. And so, um, but then I realized what a policewoman would have to do. And I decided that's probably not for me. <laughs> um, and, but I've always been great with numbers um, and always enjoyed kind of the logic and numbers, you know, make sense, right? One plus one is two, even though now they're teaching math that one plus one is not actually two. I'm not sure how that <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> But uh, so and then when I came to United States uh, in high school, you know, numbers were easy. There was no language barrier. That was, again, it just I could. It was easy. It was an easy transition. And I really kind of focused on that. Um, and then I went to college in America and did an internship. And that's really where it kind of turned around. I had an internship that was really uh, a pity internship uh, in the sense that because I was from a different country, I couldn't really work here legally so, uh, and get paid and things like that. So I had a friend who said, you know, why don't you come and help us out? And it was a a Morgan Smith Barney at the time, Morgan Stanley. And I did this really big project for them where I did a lot of analysis and they ended up getting a really big client that was a difference maker for their practice. And it made me realize that, you know, the numbers are just numbers, but it can also make a difference in people's lives if you really help them and guide them. And and sort of that theme uh, translated for me through college and I ended up going into the field, started at Morgan Stanley actually uh, did that for three years and actually also did not enjoy that environment of selling products and competition and not the right competition um, from kind of my standpoint of view. So I went into planning, I got my CFP, and then I joined a, a boutique firm in New York City that was independent RIA. It was really more about advice, financial planning, investments, and really kind of being the quarterback for a clients' lives. So a lot of similar things that Pam was talking about, um, and that has been my passion. You know, I always say I will never forget. I, I used to have a client who they lost their son in 9/11. And you know they were kind of medium class family, and their son was a, um, he worked at Canada Fitzgerald, so they got a you know a decent amount of settlement. It was more money than they've ever seen in their entire life, and so they came to us. <clears throat> it was their only son, and they came to us, and you know we helped them and kind of helped them build a life. Excuse me, and probably about two years into the relationship, I call them, you know, just like I call my clients, and I say, "Hey, you know, he, you know, this is what we need to be doing. Here's what's going on in the markets. I'd like to make these changes, and blah, blah, blah." And they, um, and uh, Jay stops me. He says, "Elena, I trust you. I know you're doing the right thing for me. I know that you've always taken care of your family. Whatever you think, that's we 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 go in with your advice. And the reason that's important to me is that it's not about money it's not about for me it's not about that it's just really looking and, and saying you know what i make a difference in somebody's life they can go to sleep they don't worry about it, they don't think somebody and that's what that's what inspires me and that's what gets me out of the bed every day and go help people is uh is helping them kind of make things uh i always say it's um, simplify the complicated making it just be easy and comfortable so that's what You know, I think what you just said actually parlays into what, you know, we have a room full
0: of people here that are coming to a lunch and learn. And I'm sure there are some people in the audience that are maybe interested in working in finance or personal finance. That might be a few people. Um, There might be a few people that could use a helping hand. There might be a few people that just wanted to get away from their desk and join us instead, which I I like that too. Um, But I think... What you were just talking about is a really overarching, no matter who you are as a listener that would like to hear, is what role, and I think what you just were about to say is a perfect segue into that, what role do you think finance plays in personal wellness? Wellness is obviously such a buzzword right now, and we're so focused. Marissa and I, obviously, at Day to Day, are focused on career and how it defines you, and if you work and where you work and what you do, because you're, you're there 90% of your time. And if you, you know, you need to love what you're doing. So, wellness is obviously so important in our industry, and now obviously wellness and food and exercise and everything is so important. Where do you think finance, you know, falls or your personal finances falls in your overall wellness?
2: Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a really big part. You know, you uh, hear about studies and research that finances could be one of the most challenging things in a marriage. Uh, it could be the most stressful thing for an individual, you know, whether you have a family or don't have a family. Um, so I always think of it as as, you know, knowledge is power. Uh, And if you have knowledge about what you have or what you need to do or, you know, whatever you're you are in the stage of life I think it's going to make you um, less stressed Uh, it's going to help you kind of just be a more just relaxed person and also give you the flexibility and empowerment to do things, you know, I think sometimes we have, you know, the people on one spectrum that maybe overspend and don't you know, save enough, but on the other hand, we have people that are kind of um, almost debilitated by the fact that they're worried about spending because they don't know well am I going to have enough to get me through retirement so I think the important part is to kind of get a handle and understand so that you can either enjoy life because you know what we all work and we want to enjoy life it's not all about work you know it's a balance so it's it's giving people the power and the knowledge to be able to enjoy life and and you know through that in my opinion be more kind of have better well-being so to speak anybody else have any thoughts on finance and wellness
3: I I totally agree. Um, You know, it's a major contributing factor. You know, towards stress and anxiety. Um, You know, people get divorced over it. Uh, Working with clients and showing them a path to financial freedom and showing them their strategic options. Uh, When they leave, you're it's it's as much. You know, you're advising them, you're coaching them. You're almost relieving them of, of the burden of worrying about finance, uh, and whether they'll have enough money to retire comfortably, whether they'll have enough money to, you know, move into then a new house and just make their life a little better. So in my practice, I've just seen the impact that uh, good financial advice has on on clients once they get a feeling for control. They're controlling their financial future. They're controlling their they're controlling the ability to reach the most important goals in their life. Uh, and that has a significant impact on their on their mental health.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll add one thing also. What I've seen often is that when people get worried or they're fearful, they don't understand something, sometimes they do nothing. So they sit on cash, they don't update their plans, they don't really look because it is complicated. You know, there's a lot of, even for folks in the industry, even who work in the industry, it's complicated. The rules are changing, the tax rules, what you're able to do, the types of vehicles you can use, the structuring. And so what I've seen is so many people just don't do anything and then you you go down that path and then there's no right time you feel like there's no right time to enter like maybe you missed it maybe you're just sort of stuck and so i always tell people find someone you trust and get a plan um, you, know, If if you have a plan, you'll feel better, even if it's not a perfect plan that needs to be adjusted over time, just to start and have someone supporting you through it. Because most people can probably do it on their own. And you know you can open a Betterment account. Like there's so many ways. You could buy one ETF. They're so low cost. But the problem is most people just don't do it. They, it's Life is too complicated. And then you don't really rebalance your account. You really don't look at them how you need to. You don't take advantage of opportunities. So we say, if you, if you really want to spend the time and do it, the lowest cost option is just to do it yourself and put the plan together. But most people need some support by someone they trust to help them through it and just to stick to the plan. It's, it's actually the, just getting the plan and making the first move is sort of the hardest part I've found.
4: Yeah, I would I would agree with that too. And I think just to add to add what you said, um, I mean we're all advisors by trade up here, but I would say that we're more educators. Um, you know, a lot of what we do is education. People just don't understand life insurance, for example. People think you die, somebody gets paid. Yeah, that's the basis of it. That's the chassis of it. But as we know, as professionals, they can do so much more. Cash value life insurance, you can build equity. It is own asset class, and people just don't understand that. So So when we meet with people and they leave uh, our offices, I'm sure together, excuse me, the uh, the ultimate goal is people go, wow, I didn't know that. That's great. And I think as an education piece, that's what's really satisfying for us is just educating people and getting them to, to take some action um, and start, you know, j- just a, they think they have to have millions of dollars to do it. And you don't, you can start with a thousand dollars. The biggest thing is to just get started. Uh, we always tell people wealth is not math. Wealth is discipline. And that's the beginning of it. How can we discipline you to put that $50 a week away? And we'll start with that. And then when you see the compounding interest and you see it building, you're gonna get more excited. And you're gonna say, you know what? I think I wanna jump it up to 250 or maybe 500 or 1,000. And that's how it starts. But yeah, the first step is is definitely the biggest challenge. So I would definitely agree with that.
0: You know, one of the things is um, that we talk about all the time is Marissa and I both, we consider ourselves one time this fell on us, so I just I get very nervous that it's gonna go. Um, okay. She's there. Okay. okay. Thank you. Um, so we talk about how it, it gives us like actual like guttural joy to turn somebody's light on when it comes to career or what they do or why they do it. And I think one of the things we it seems have you know, we all have in common is it gives us like like life joy to help others and turn their light on about what it is that you're passionate about and you know about, right? And you're, you would shout from the rooftops, like you got to invest in this and this is where your money should be. And you're so passionate about what you're doing, which I love. And what I'd love to do next is, you know, obviously I'd like to leave a lot of time at the end in case anybody has questions, but, um, you know, we have so many different questions that we like to ask our our guests on our podcast and and, in these panels about what mantras you have and some of the things you were talking about were mantras like You know, I even wrote some of them down, like simplify the complicated, things like that. So I'd love to kind of ask a twofold question. If you could give everyone in the audience, like if you were having a free consultation, as many of you I know do with your clients, with everybody here today, like what's your major nugget that you want somebody here to walk away with? Um, And or what's your mantra when it comes to finance? Like if there's certain things like just get started, like the things you were saying. Um, I'd love to hear from each of you your your favorite kind of piece of financial wisdom right now um, for somebody like maybe don't lose your ATM card or <laughs> or learn what ninety percent of all the things that you've said were that would be nice. <laughs> totally, I need a I need a boot camp a and crash course. Seat. All of us, yes. totally. Um, but if you could give the audience and ourselves, um, you know, one nugget of financial wisdom today, what would it be? And also, you know, and or maybe some sort of mantra. that that you live by as far as financials go, like right. And do you apply? Do you apply your gift of wisdom to your own life? Because I think that's very interesting too. Yeah. Does so anybody, Kapil, you want to start? I'll go. Okay.
5: Yeah. So obviously, I think uh, these guys are really smart enough, know much more than so they will give you the stock tips, which which is stock to invest in. But uh, uh, I'll say two things: uh, follow your passion. Uh, and we're talking about finance, wellness, connection. If a lot of us get too comfortable in our jobs, and most of us probably are just staying in the job because it helps us pay the bills. Get out of that mindset. Honestly, job is not about paying the bills. First find out what you really like, and I have seen it again and again in my own network throughout my career path. If you like what you do, money will follow you. Uh, and the second part is just don't get too comfortable. The world is changing really fast. There are jobs that are going away because of the dramatic shift in this. In our, uh, we're kind of living in an age where uh, within next two, three years, if you don't update your own skills, You will lose your, or somebody will actually take your own, take a job. Um, I was looking at, uh, there is a friend of mine, human resources officer, Fortune 500 companies, being out there for more than a year, can't find a job. Why? Most of the companies, like myself, our startups, we don't need a human resources officer because Silicon Valley has built tools for us to manage our human resources. Oh, we know. Payroll, we HR, know. Everything is Late automated. Din.
0: That's why we're doing the dream catchers. That's why we do this now. Capel, <laughs> exactly, so there's no right? jobs to
5: fill. Same thing with the CFOs. I mean, there are. There is, I, I just went to a group of 25 CFOs out of job for a year. Wall Street guys can't find a job. Why? Tools. There are tons of tools that are automating everything, and. Unless you work for a big bank or a big corporate, I'm sure you're good. But we're moving into a real entrepreneurial journey. Places like this helps companies like us to grow. I don't have to take a space of 5,000 square feet. I can start with one desk. So there is a lot of entrepreneurial phenomena. There is There are startups coming, but they need people with new skills, so please just keep stay out there. And, and should we invest
0: things. in cryptocurrency? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Give him a call. Uh, I, mean, might be slightly I, think, biased. I think I'll
5: break some rules if I start giving investment advice so I'll leave it to these guys. <laughs> but uh, I can just leave you with one nugget. What was the SP 500 return in 2019? Uh, 30, tw- tw- 20%? 30%. Crypto Bitcoin return was 75% plus. <laughs> That's what I will leave it to you. Okay. So, again, down find down. other ways to. <laughs> right.
0: So, everyone needs to find out what Bitcoin rest. is and invest in it, apparently. I can say it. You can't. Okay, go ahead.
4: Um, yeah, I would just add to that. I think my two pieces of advice would be... Uh one is, for retirement-wise and saving money, start as early as possible. Unfortunately, it's not something that they teach in the schools these days, but you really need to start saving for retirement in your 20s, which is absurd. Most kids are not thinking about retirement, they're thinking about what they're doing this weekend. But you really need to start early and you really have to be disciplined.
0: Maris, you hear that? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the girl, Kelly, um, you got it? Okay, the girls that work for me, I'm making sure they're set up.
4: Yeah, just to throw out some crazy numbers. I mean, if you're gonna retire at 65 and you plan on retiring for 18 years, which is about the average, and you want to pull 50,000 a year, which is very, very modest if you live in the Northeast, you need 1.6 million invested, saved. So that's a scary number for a lot of people. But if you start in your 20s, it's about $800 a month you can put away. In your 30s, it's about 1100. In your 40s, it's about 2500 you need to put away. It's a huge difference. So the earlier you start, the better. Um, so that's one piece of advice. And the other piece, I, I would go off what you said, get good at something. Get very, very good at one thing. All of us do the same things, but we can all work together up here because we're all specialists So I would say get good at one or two things. Don't try to be a drack of all trades. Those days are gone. Get good partners that are in your wheelhouse, but get good at one or two things. The riches are in the niches. That would be my mantra. The
0: riches
4: riches are in the niches or in the niches, however you would like to say it. We'll we'll say
0: niches because it it, it rhymes. rhymes.
4: That's why we use it. But get good at one or two things and just do that. Do it very well. Be the guy or the girl that does that and then have other people in your wheelhouse to complete your project. But don't try to do everything, because you'll fail.
0: Great advice. Wow, John. I like that. You want a job? Come work (laughs) for us. Am I on? I feel like not, oh yeah, I'm on. Keith, what about you?
3: Uh, Since this is a finance subject, I would say my mantra is just making sense of investing. Uh, And that really means, uh, you know, doing a lot of uh, planning yourself, trying to figure out what are your goals, you know, what are your short term goals, you know, what are your long term goals uh, and work with somebody who uh, could help you uh, develop a plan to achieve those goals. Uh, identifying them is really important. We're putting together a plan and staying focused. Uh, meeting periodically with your advisor uh, is really important to make sure you keep track on plan. Uh, and um, what will that do in the long run is just uh, make you not just financially healthier, but also uh, mentally and physically healthier. Uh, this job is really interesting because half the job, I feel, you know, I'm providing sound financial advice. The other half, I feel I'm providing just, you know, life coaching advice. Yeah, and, same, uh, yeah. So, you know, which, by the way, is as rewarding. Agreed. <laughs> you know, so that's my mantra.
1: I love it. Great. Yeah, I I always tell clients, especially those who are just getting used to investing, to try to not pay attention to all the noise, because we are constantly surrounded. Now with our 24-hour news cycle, they need to fill airtime. You know, you go on to MarketWatch, you'll see we're at the height, we're at the low, it's turning today, go to cash. It's, and we all know in the industry, um, and you look at any numbers, people cannot time the market. If they say they can, it's it's really, you should run the other direction because we really don't know what's going to happen at any time. We could take a, we could look at the history and we can try you're to like project. A weather,
0: you're a weatherman,
1: right? You could try to project, your, but the, the best, the best is to stick to your plan put together an asset allocation that makes sense for you throughout the cycles. We will have a cycle, we don't know when it is. This is a normal part of investing, is that you go through cycles and you stick with your plan through it because if you sell at the bottom, you locked in your loss and you you potentially can never make it back. Um, and even if you get the timing right once, you move all to cash right before a sell-off, it's almost impossible to know when to get back in. And people who got that timing right in 2008, 2009, are still sitting in cash today and missed all of that run up. Um, so I always tell people, make a plan that feels comfortable, think about the downside, make sure you're comfortable, and then forget about the noise. Turn off Jim Cramer when he tells you to s- yells to sell in your ear, because the world is filled with fear and greed, and that's what really rules it. The ones who The ones who really last are the ones who think about their liquidity, think about their balance sheet, they plan for the big events in their life, they take risk off when they know those things are coming, and they just stick with the plan. And then the other thing I would say um, is if you're working with an advisor and they're talking about things you don't understand and you don't feel comfortable with them, then get out because you know, I work with some athletes and entertainers and the stories I hear of like these people telling about this investment and that investment and things they don't really understand, it's like if they can't explain it to you in English and make you feel comfortable with it, then don't do it. This is, you know, everyone should feel the empowerment, being able to ask the questions, understand the fees. This industry is surrounded by hidden fees left and right. Make sure you understand, get it in writing. If you don't like what you're hearing, then find someone you trust, because you don't you don't have to be in the dark. Um, you can put it together a plan that you feel comfortable with, that you're paying the right amount for working with the right people.
2: Um, <clears throat> there was a lot of great advice that already been shared, and I'm just gonna take it kind of one level higher, and just say that what I would tell people is to get financially organized. So before you kind of put together an investment plan, a financial plan, just get organized. And what does that mean? Know what you have, know what you need, know what's coming in and out of the door as far as your income and expenses. You know, the biggest financial mistake people make is not knowing what they need or have or not understanding what they have or what they need. So just before you even do any of these great suggestions that everybody said, just get yourself organized and make sure that you know. And kind of the second part of that, and that would also apply to those that are thinking about careers, know your why. Why are you getting into this profession or a different profession? No, why are you putting together this particular financial plan or this investment strategy? Because the why is really the driver, right? We get so bogged down in the details of stocks and cryptos and this and this and this. And all that is just details. Uh, And if you really stay true to the why, um, then it just makes the road much clearer. And you're going to have more success because you're going to really stay on course. It.
0: I think that's a perfect time to maybe see if there's anybody in our audience that has a specific question that they would like to ask of our panel. Um, if there's anyone, does there anyone that wants to raise a question? Raise your hand so I can honor that. And don't be shy because this is not formal. This is intimate. It, don't be fooled. Feels formal because it's big, but yes, it's intimate. Should should we Oh here's me. Turn that off. Hold on, there he goes. Wait, so we can hear you. So a Wharton fan here. Yeah, Wharton shirt.
5: Okay, are we on? Um I was wondering just to, to step back a little bit. There are there are a lot of people that lack discipline on the spending side, so they don't have as much money to invest in the first place to take advantage of all your useful advice, particularly if you have a couple where one's a spender and one's a saver, can be especially <laughs> exasperating. But I wonder what, what you tell people who are having trouble making ends meet because they're just too impulsive, spend too much, go to the supermarket when they're hungry, don't have a list, mm-hmm. buy clothes on impulse just because they're on sale. I mean,
0: are you reading you, my mind? I'm yeah. just wondering. <laughs> I mean, how, do you, how do you
5: get people to be more disciplined on the spending side so they can have the money to invest to reach their long-term goals in the first place?
3: So um, I could address that. Uh, most of the time, typically in the early appointments, uh, I get people to, I ask people what their budgets are. How much do they spend? And uh, most of the time, people just don't know. You know, how much do you spend monthly on your needs? So, um, to help them out, I provide a guide. And, And I provide a guide that is simply a budget worksheet. And it identifies all of your essential expenses, like housing, car expenses, your food, grocery shopping, your utility bills, and then all the discretionary stuff. And quite often, if I'm dealing with a couple, a husband and wife, and wants a spender and wants a not, it's, you, it's, it's an interesting meeting because, you this know. That's why you're a life coach. <laughs> now what you're doing is you're isolating the, the, you know, the discretionary spending. You know, how much do you spend on a cleaning bill? How much do you spend just getting your nails done? You know, et cetera, et cetera. But once you do that, if clients are willing to go that far and do that and do it properly, you give them an understanding of what's coming in and what's going out. And the better they understand that, the more discipline they can be on spending, but more importantly on the saving component to achieve goals. Whether that be putting away money for you know retirement early so it compounds, or whether that be um, you know just living comfortably in retirement. Uh, maybe it could be a legacy for your uh, for your grandchildren or your children. But it's really important to. Focus on the saving portion and what, and tie it to your goals.
1: Yeah, I have one one thing to add too that I've seen over the years is that it's very hard to take down a life. Like once you expand your lifestyle, it's very difficult. You know, you send your kids to camp, you do a fancy vacation every year, you buy a second home, you buy a third car, you have extra help. And I do tell clients when they're going through these points, you know, they had a child, they had a grandchild, they're thinking about a second, third, fourth home. They're thinking about private travel. I do have them pause and just think through what that actually means over the long term. Because again, very, very difficult to take back a life. Um, If you could keep your expenses, your outflows lower than your inflows, you will be able to put money away. You will be able to do planning. It will compound over time. You pick up once, you buy a second home. Sometimes people say, oh, it's a million or $2 or 500, whatever it is but you don't add in all the expenses year after year that come with that decision point. So I tell clients to pause before making a major life change and really build out a cash flow that projects that and then make an informed decision. Like we should all live great happy lives, be able to do things that bring us joy, Um, be able to spend money that we all earn, but just make sure it's the right thing and you're thinking through the implications of it. Because I think a lot of people sort of, you know, similar to the supermarket, they go in hungry, they see a great great house, it seems great, or they see something they wanna do and they jump on it without pausing to think of the long-term implication. And this is at every wealth level. I see this with my hundred million dollar clients who do something, all the way down to someone who's just really trying to make ends meet. People have this issue at every single wealth level. That's what I was just, I didn't mean to interrupt, but that's what I wanted to
0: say to normalize that for our audience and also for me, just saying. Um, when you're talking or you're giving advice to people that have, s- that have so much money, right, money that's unfathomable for, for most of us, and yet the messaging is the same. I think that's exactly. incredibly
1: empowering for the rest of us. Yeah, I mean, I, often my wealthiest clients, I'm talking hundreds of millions of dollars, feel the poorest because they have expanded their life so much, that they are stuck in millions and millions of dollars of annual expenses and then have private investments and homes to support and trust for the kids and everything else where they actually can't access their money. We have to take out loans for them to live. So I say to, That's to folks, That's wild. just think through the implications. Try not to create, you know, the money is here. It can empower us. It can allow us to do great and meaningful things or it can create a prison for us of endless material things that we need to support, endless objects and real property that we need to maintain. And it can cause a lot of extra stress and complication. So think through, don't create the complication and the extra life just to do it. Think about what really matters to you and then do the things that are meaningful to you.
4: Yeah. And I, I think to add with your clients, too, once you get to that level, it's a lot of keeping up with the Joneses, which is very nothing will drive you to be broke quicker than trying to keep up with the Joneses.
1: Yeah, it's funny. I, I, say, <laughs> I say, you know, I All had Kardashian's. Yeah. <laughs> I know, and, and I and I have folks and I always tell them to to revisit and think through you have 100 million, but you feel poor. Like that's just that's just think through this. You have health, you have you know, things that you need. You don't have to worry about the next paycheck. Just remember the things in your life. But this goes to all of us. It just goes to right? show you it that money, all of us. although important,
0: doesn't really change the end game, Right? So, you know, I sit here and I'm listening to you all. And I'm, I'm taking in so much information. And I'm sure I'm speaking on behalf of some of us that maybe doesn't have, don't have the courage to raise their hand. So, I'm raising it for you. You know, I think it's a very intimidating fact to be in your 20s, which... Canvassing. No offense to any of us. I don't think there's a lot of us in our 20s today. Um, but when you're in your 20s, to be told you need to save $800 a month when your rent is probably your entire paycheck, those are really difficult things to process and I think that that probably it's facts and sentiments like that and unfortunately living in the tri-state area that set up the bad habits because people are set up in the area that we live in to fail no matter what because they're just trying to get a job which is what Jamie and I try to do and by the way dream jobs don't pay money and dream jobs don't pay money that then pay rents that are more than their dream job and then you can't live in the city if you don't have X I mean, that's what we deal with. And those are where the habits start. So whether it's, you know, the $800 a month when you're something in your 20s, there's no way that's happening. I would walk down the street. If I asked every kid that walked past me in Manhattan if they've saved anything, I would go, chances are I would bet the 100 million that Pam invests (laughs) that none of them are doing that, right? But you're in their 30s. But my point is, is I do think there's something, a common denominator that is healing in all of what you're saying that when Pam gives advice to someone that has 100 million dollars in their bank account and The rest of us don't
2: have that. It's nice to know that the problems are the same. And you could take, you know, to your point of saying, you know, sometimes like in our 20s, it doesn't feel like you could save 800. The thing about is, and Pam said, uh, you know, earlier talked about kind of the status quo of not doing anything is that it's not an all or nothing proposition, right? So if we're saying, um, you know, probably even in Pam's situation with her clients, it's not, she's not saying you can't take a vacation. She's saying don't take a private jet to the vacation, right? Like buy a first class ticket and it's still, so, and I think it's, it goes to all the different layers. So to the young investors or young workers, I'll say, okay, you can't save 800. That's fine. Try to put as much into your 401k that employer will match right so it's because if so let's say most you know most big companies will say will match up to 3% if you contribute 6% right so the 3% that the company is willing to match you is free money you are 100% invested or usually invested within 2 3 years and it's free money the company is giving you so at least put 6% so that you can get the 3% match that is going to be with you and you're going to take. So it's kind of like additional salary but be- people don't think about it that way. Right. And you and you've just simplified it for
0: anyone in the audience that maybe is trying to parent that for a young kid that's just starting right. out maybe in the working world
2: that if they could if they could just do this. Right. And that's and you have to take I always talk to clients because again no matter the dollar amount, you know, I have clients coming in with 10 million dollars and they feel like they can't do anything. Take one thing at a time. You don't need to tackle all your problems, all your credit card debts, or all your children's education needs. Take one thing at a time you know, just, you gotta kind of digest it. You know, it's uh, appetizers, dinner, and then dessert. You don't eat all of it at once, right? So that's kind of what you have to do with money too, is that just take one thing at a time and take a breath. You know, my action word for for this year is to pause. Just take a, take a break, take a break, you know, reassess, make sure that, you know, your life, your financial life, your personal life, you know, we're so busy and it's constant, you know, just a hamster wheel of life. And sometimes you just gotta get off of it and take a breath, take one thing at a time, solve one problem, and then move on.
0: Is there anybody else in the audience that well, has a question in... over here? Oh, yes, there's a person. Hold on, I'll come to you. I think. Can I come you? You might have to get up. be brave. She's gonna be, wow. Hey,
1: guys. A little bit my chest, but
0: that's <laughs> all right. We all are. Okay. So my question is, obviously, I like what you said. I do like try to max out my 401k because it is free money. Um, but I am in my 20s. So I feel like I struggle between, um, you know, my money and my savings account is safe and then taking a risk. And I don't know which direction to go to go into, whether it's, um, you know, investing in real estate early, which I feel like I hear people chirping to me that that's the way to go. Or if it's like investing in the stock market or if I can do both, but I don't know if I have the assets to be able to do both. So it's kind of a mix of both of those things. So I don't know if you have advice on which way to go in or which direction to go in or which is better. Well, first, I'd like to say, don't ask me. (laughs) Okay. Um, Mm -hmm. Second, I'd like to say, how amazing that she's even thinking about any of these things. That's really... Like, good for you. (laughs) Good for you. Anyways, okay, who would like to answer that? Because that was an amazing question.
3: Yeah, I'll I'll address. Um, Okay. So... You have to figure out what's important to you. So, the, one of the first things we do is just understand, try to understand by talking it through. Mm-hmm. What, what are your priorities? You know, is your priority to buy a first home? You know, get a down payment enough so that you could get a home, fix a 30-year mortgage so it never goes up anymore like your rent does? Because yeah. um, that's important. If you do so, how much, you know, can you, ident- how, come, how much could you save every month Toward your all your goals. Yeah. If if buying a first home is important, allocate you know fifty seventy five percent toward that. Mm. But don't forget about your other goals. If also your goal you say invest in the stock market, that's not a goal. <laughs> the goal should be to you know have enough money to retire comfortably one day and start early enough. That's the goal. How you, you know, the investments will get you there. Mm -hmm. Um, So your time horizon, your tolerance for risk will determine what kind of portfolio you should be spending and how to invest in the stock market. Okay. Um, So if that's also part of your goal, start early, take advantage of the max, get the free money. That's a good part of your goal so maybe you put some money in that as well Um, but really it's trying to figure out what's important to you Um, and then put together a plan toward meeting your goals Okay.
0: you know and I'd like to add the one thing that I can add what I like about our panel is they're humanizing something that is extremely scary for most of us right so they're basically saying he just said to you instead of it's word choice, right? The power of word choice. Yeah. Instead of thinking about investing in the stock market, he wants you to be thinking about what your goals are mm-hmm. and then how to get to your goals. So perhaps as you're, I mean, a great step is coming to a lunch and learn like this today. That's amazing. And probably better than 90% of the people you have in your phone. But <laughs> my point is you could take away from this, what do I really want to gain? Right. And then you could sit down with someone like him and say, how can you help me get there? Rather than trying, and I think somebody else said, um, try not to get so caught up in the noise. Yeah. Right? So that's what we all hear. We hear stock market. We hear real estate. You said it yourself, chirping. Yeah. So you don't want to deal with the chirping. You want to actually humanize your own wants. Yeah. Because it boggles my mind. I'm like, okay, of course. so what's right and what's wrong, but there really is. No, it's
2: really like up to me. Right.
0: So it's but really your personal journey and you, you can and by the way, someone else said, your plan can change. Mm-hmm. So your personal journey and your personal plan as of today and how that looks and then how what you could do in order to honor those plans. Okay. I think that's great. Yeah, one you guys thing are awesome.
1: also one thing also I would say is people um get so caught up in investing and hearing all this chirping about the market going up or real estate being a great investment. And they don't look at their whole situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I even had this with my sister who had some student loans that were oh, at like yeah. very high levels. So she's like, oh, maybe I should start an investment account. But yet they're paying like 7% on their student loans. Yeah. So it would be guaranteed returns to pay off those student loans first because all that is going out to pay off the debt. So, again, looking at things more holistically, and this is why most people do sort of need an advisor to help them with it because... It's complicated, right? And there's tax implications of different things, and um, there's different ways to structure it. But I would say, you know, most people get go to a party and they hear about, oh, I invested in this great thing and it earned me 30% last year. No one talks about the things that they invested in that like imploded. So, you know, I'd say everyone's journey is different and what makes sense is usually not the sexiest path. It's usually like putting together a plan that's right for you at your stage of life. And I agree
0: with you on that because
1: I feel like I'll go and I'll hear something. I'll be like, wow, that sounded great just because they tell you only the good things. And
2: then I'm like, I think I want to do that. And then I'm like... I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> you, um, Some some of you here might have heard that Warren Buffett has a great quote and it says, be greedy when others are fearful and fearful when others are greedy. My rule of thumb is that if somebody gives me investment advice at a cocktail party, a school fundraiser, if I have it, I sell it. <laughs> and, and I, because it's it's just, it's that buying, you know, everybody yeah. wants to buy when it's high because it feels comfortable, it feels good. And when it feels bad, you want to sell because it's our human it's a human nature we can't none of us can get away even when we are in the profession you know we feel so it's it's really about just not listening to that and just kind of thinking to myself is this the right thing for me whether it's up down or sideways you know that's less important it's it's about kind of what is that you doing yeah I also would like to say one thing are you are you good you feel good oh yeah, yeah you feel good okay yeah. um
0: thank you Maris um great job I, I think one thing that I think is really interesting, um, you guys are saying a lot of me, right? And we finance or financial planning is something that I think a lot of us have a relationship with because of our parents and our upbringing. So do you find when you're dealing with people at different ages that you're kind of un- And Jamie makes fun of me because I say this verb a lot, but unpacking. Yes. some prior thinking. Yes. You know, I think about him and what he's doing and his involvement and, you know, how he's gone through, I mean, you've pretty much worked on the front lines of all these different changes. And if you sit down with someone that has been maybe out of the workforce for a while and or has a different point of view, how do
2: you guide or how do you say to someone it's okay if you want to do it this way even though your parents did it that way? Well, it's actually very interesting. So there's a big growing um, aspect of finance is called behavioral finance, um, and there are you know a lot of different biases that all of us have. You know some of those biases are cognitive, and what that means is that it has to do with how we process information. So you know we hear something somebody tell us or you know and then we we make an opinion about it based on that. So that would be kind of a an example of a cognitive bias. And then we have emotional biases. And a lot of the emotional biases stem from feelings. Um, stem from our upbringing from our grandfather saying buy you know savings bonds and then you can't you sort of you know logically that it might not be the best strategy but you can't help yourself because that's how you feel. Um, So there are two ways you know all of us have biases the first step is to understand what they are so a lot of times talking you know if I'm talking to my client I'm trying to understand what do they have that's like you said what do we need to unpack Um, and there are two ways to deal with it one is you Mitigate it. Um, and what I mean by that, you educate somebody. So if I have a client coming in and they have five million dollar portfolio, and all of all of it all of it is in a Wells Fargo stock because their grandfather gave it to them when it was a different bank 30 years ago, you know, we talk about it. We try to educate that it's not it's not prudent. It's you know uh, it's risky. But then the other aspect of it, sometimes you have to adapt to it. So if logically you only want to have five percent in one individual stock, um, I might have to say how. How about how does it feel if we leave 20 so it's better than 100 but I have to uh, just adapt to the fact that it's an emotional feeling that you can't change I can't educate you out of it how, how many how many people in our audience finds this topic very relatable
0: Yeah. okay so you know what the gift of intuition goes a long way when you're sitting up here moderating a panel so you have people here that obviously are somewhere between having $800 a month and starting early and on Pam's side of the coin with 100 million in several homes, right? And I think that we all have certain biases, like, you know, you're, or maybe it's who's the spender and who's the saver, right? So I think that it's really interesting to hear this point of view for all of us. And don't be afraid to ask questions like that, because it obviously seems to be extremely human and normal for all of us to be like, well, my grandpa leaves money underneath my bed. Or you know, I still have three hundred dollars from my grandfather's wallet in my cash box, and I don't know the combination. These are like really normal things, correct?
4: Yeah, and I think uh, another thing to add on that too is funny because it's it kind of hits home with me. Is um, we do a lot of life insurance, and my father, you know, old school Italian growing up, will not get life insurance because he thinks as soon as you get life insurance, you're gonna die. (laughs) and and it's trying to get out of that old mentality that no that's not what it does. Superstitious. Yes that old superstitious and you know now he actually waited too long and and I can't really get him any decent coverage. No he's in his 70s now. But he waited all that time because he thought you know that's what he was told when he grew up. Well if you get life insurance you're going to die. It's it's a bad luck thing. You know.
0: I mean not for nothing when I see that letter come in. I mean so (laughs) we made fun of me but good news is in my family there's a yin and a yang and the yang's at work right now. There's only room for two of us in this family to be like this. Anyway, when I see that letter come in with the life insurance policy, I'm not going to say I don't I mean, it's a, it's a weird feeling.
4: It's scary. Yeah, it's, scary yeah, it's scary because scary you're feeling. you're and it's scary because, you know, nobody wants to talk about death, although it's the one thing that every single person in this building has in common. Nobody's beat it yet. So, it's inevitable, but yet nobody wants to talk about it, which is which is a little funny. <laughs> You know what I mean? Um, the other thing that I just want to touch on real quick, going back to this gentleman, uh, we do the same thing as Keith. We'll, we'll have somebody come in and, and do a budget. And once they actually see the budget, you know, what's their household expense? What's their groceries? What's their cell phone? What's their car insurance? And then what's left over? thousand bucks fifteen hundred dollars and you say to the client well where is that money going and they have no idea Amazon they have no idea you know where it's going most of the time you know what we know It's a killer and especially for the younger people Starbucks 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 is a killer I
0: said it before we started coffee will kill you I literally have actual like 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 nightmarish memory of sitting with my dad who had, you know, for many of us is your financial advisor, what for me was when I was young and he's not a financial advisor, he's a recruiter. Um, and I would sit with him and be like, I gotta figure something out. Like I can't get out from underneath. And he's like, well, maybe if you stop going to Starbucks every day, that's $350 a day, 4 yeah, dollars a
4: day. I mean, that's $125 a month and when minimum.
0: When I was in my 20s, I brought my coffee and my mug. And yeah, it's, a, it's And a, your it's workplace a probably
4: has a Keurig. You could yeah. probably get your coffee for free, but your habits, that's where the discipline comes in. You really have to it's think. It's an
0: emotional habit.
4: It is found money, right? That's $125 minimum a month that's found money. You know, another thing is, let's take a look at your credit cards. If you have a $10,000 credit card bill and you're paying the minimum, you're not paying anything. Let's look at a balance. Transfer. We could transfer that over and get you two years with no interest. Now, whatever you're paying on that interest, that's found money. Now, sure, we can invest that. Just like she was saying with the stu- with the uh, student loans, you want to pay off all debt before you start investing because it's counterproductive. Even if you're investing and you're getting a five percent return. But you have 7% on your student loans. You're losing 2%. You're not making any money. And people don't think of it that way. So that's why it's great to talk to friends and family. But you have to sit down with a professional and kind of let them open your eyes to some things that probably never even crossed your mind
5: before.
1: Yeah, one thing I I think about is that knowledge is power. Even when we have these biases, if someone could break it down... And whatever the biases are, there's all different types. There's I don't wanna spend any money. I spend too much money. I wanna not invest in anything because I'm scared of losing money. There's all kinds of biases we all have in life, but when you look at the numbers, you can actually, I think most people can start to overcome some of those things because the numbers don't lie. You look at, okay, let's say you keep it all in cash, all your money in cash, inflation's at this rate, Over time, your real money is this amount. This is what your cash flows look over time. Or let's say your spending is here. Okay, let's just keep projecting this out. You're running out of money in 15 years. What are you gonna do? You know, just having those discussions where you're actually looking at your balance sheet and cash flows gives you exceptional knowledge that most people don't have because they spend more time doing other things and looking at the financials because it's not comfortable. So, if you understand your balance sheet, your full balance sheet, your assets, your liabilities, and your cash flows, you're more knowledgeable than most people, and that's when you could start making changes. You could start then dissecting, why are my cash flows so high? What income? What do I need to do to change this plan? What are my? What's my debt? What do, what should I repay? What is my retirement slug? What should I be doing? How should I be structuring it? And then people could, are, could really be there to help you with that because I think people are in the dark a little bit, and then it's even scarier, right? I think also, and I think the net net here is
0: also speaking in a language that everyone or that your your customer or your client can understand, right? So for all of us, if you just
2: explain some of this to us in really simple terms, we would hear you better. Well, I will say I always say that if I can't explain if I cannot explain something that I'm telling a client to a fifth grader and they understand it, I'm using too many jargon words. Yeah. Everything they might not, I under, you know, fifth grader is not going to be able to absorb the concepts. But I should be able to explain you it. to them. You haven't met my fifth grader. <laughs> um, be able to explain yep. to them. Um, the one thing I will just add, and um, I'll politely disagree with the Starbucks analogy. And I'll just add to that is that if you want a Starbucks, have the Starbucks, but understand what that means in your plan. I go to Bouskardou in Fairhaven, New Jersey, and I get a coffee every morning. It costs me $3, and I happily spend it because it makes me feel oh so good. But then I make other choices throughout my day to make sure that the $3 that that I spend, I don't don't reallocate there. And the point of me bringing this up, and I do it jokingly, uh, but truthfully, really, is that it goes back to priorities, right? Life is just a... A stream of balancing acts You know Unless you have Unlimited resources And you discipline And you're never Going to live them We all have to make choices Right And I think that's The important part Is looking at the choices And saying This is important to me This is not important to me Right Like perhaps you'd rather Have your Starbucks Or your Boosker do And not a new shirt Absolutely, or right? you were instead of buying a you know hundred dollar shirt, you say I don't need a hundred dollar you know tank top. I'm gonna go get a twenty dollar one. So it's all about just the choices and the options, and, and making the right decision for you. And it sounds similar to all
0: of us in our relationship with food. You know, if uh, you don't eat pasta every day and you try to avoid the pasta, then on the weekend, can you have go wine. out for that large cheat meal, you can have your baked ziti and spend it on your Starbucks. Exactly. Wait,
4: pasta's not good for you? No. Oh. <laughs> well,
0: that's a different panel.
4: That would make I, sense. I,
0: I feel like we could talk about this for hours. It's so, so enriching. I love everything that you guys are saying. And we typically would, would close with a couple of fun questions just to kind of like lighten the mood and get to know you a little better. Um, but I'd love to kind of maybe close and maybe... If if we have time for one or two more questions at the end but with you mentioned your action word of pause i love that i think it's something that we none of us do enough of in finance in life in anything is to take a beat um but if we could wrap with what is your action word for 2020 obviously we're a month in um it could have changed in the last 3 weeks we don't like to talk about uh, resolution so much, but we talk about intention and setting intention for something, and and having a goal. It's so much what we're talking about today it relates so much to every other part of your life, whether it's a fitness goal, a wellness goal, a career goal, a life goal, a finance goal. So, what is your action word for 2020? And please share that. Obviously, you, we cheated a little bit, and you said pause, but
2: yeah, no. Um, as I said, you know, I'm really trying. Uh, I think pause. Uh, the reason it resonates to me because it really goes into every aspect of real life. You know, I am a working mom. I get get my kids ready and take them to school. Sometimes I'm just like, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, this is it. And then I'm and I'm thinking, you know, my kid's only going to be four and five one time. And I have to remind myself and say, if I'm two minutes late to a client meeting and they don't understand that, they shouldn't be my client. And I should take, take a breath and just look them in the eye and help them get through the moment because they're having their own moment. And it relates to finances of kind of taking a pause and saying, let me reassess my personal situation. Has it changed from the year before? Am I still working towards my why? Am I still taking the right steps? Do I need to adjust? So, you know, i think it just really can go anywhere in life and and you know health and wellness and everything so great yeah
1: that's fantastic Um, mine i would say is purpose i think we're all trying to find meaning in this crazy life and um you know i'm trying to continue to to fight to just get off the hamster wheel every day and do what really I think matters I mean it's hard day to day but in the long term I want to make sure that I found purpose and meaning in my life know. I would say last year, I really did leave my action, but it was more an expression, um, which is do what scares you. Because I think so many of us also, myself, very much included, it's like, okay, I'm here, I'm at this great job, you know, I, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. But again, you know, sometimes to find purpose, you have to a little bit do what scares you. And, ac- and that goes across like finances too. People sort of take inaction because they're scared. But if you, sometimes you find the most meaning of doing the thing that's really scaring you because it brings you to the next level of, a, of enlightenment.
3: Enlightenment. <laughs> That's no, my pre- no pressure.
0: <laughs> That's <Keith>. yours. <laughs> it's your word. I like I kept it. You up? There we go. You oh. can say it twice. Don't change your word. Uh, it actually it delivers the point more.
3: I think enlightened is a great word. Um, you know, it, to me, it's important because uh, you know I get a lot of personal satisfaction from educating and informing, uh, you know, people about their situation, trying to. Uh, make people better understand what's important in terms of prioritizing major life decisions. Uh, so my 2020 word is enlightened. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat>
4: Um I would say discipline. Uh, and discipline in budgeting and having a plan. Um, you know, if you think of, a, of a, ge- a general for a war, if they went into a war without a plan, just imagine what would happen. If you got into your car to drive somewhere but you had no directions, you had no plan, imagine what would happen. So people try to do the same things with their finances. There's no plan, but they know they need a million six, two million dollars by the when they're 65 to retire. That's their goal, but a goal without a plan it's just an illusion. So I would say discipline, planning, and budgeting would be the the theme for 2020.
5: You're always on a budget. Those are really good ones. Um, if I have to choose one, I would probably say learning. Just find something new for 2020, new skill you want to build, whether it's uh, financial knowledge, um, to to the young lady there, um, there are millions of tools out there. If you haven't done it, open an account on TD Ameritrade or Schwab. They'll give you $25,000 to play with the phantom money. And you will learn the stock market without losing a single penny. So find these type of tools. There is plenty of learning opportunities. Skydiving. That
0: sounds better than Minecraft.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Of course. (laughs) There is there is there is a lot of tools available to learn and just never stop learning.
0: So what do we have? We had pause. We had purpose. Pause. Purpose. Enlighten. Discipline and learning. A that's of, a that's a that's a healthy roster. We have a lot to do, people. Well, I think you know we like to wrap with um, one fun question. That was a little fun. That was still businessy. Um, and we like to bring it back to Bellworks because we're so happy to be here and to be able to be in the building and here. So, our question—we have three fun questions that we typically ask our podcast guests at the end. But I think what we're going to do for this one, and then we can do our raffle. If it's your first time in the building, obviously you'll, your answer will be different. So just bear with me. So we usually say, "What is your favorite go-go-to go to order at your like hometown favorite restaurant?" Okay, so like, what you would order in Siberia, maybe, um, <laughs> but so if you're a Bellworks person, what's your favorite thing to get to eat here? If you're not a Bellworks person, what is your like go-to meal, speaking of cheat meal, at either your hometown restaurant or like where you live now? Let's do the Bellworks people Bellworks first. Bellworks people first, I guess. Like uh, what should we get for lunch after this because we're hungry? <laughs>
3: Well, every place here is really good for lunch. Uh, you know, surprisingly, the quality of the food is is really good. Uh, the sushi here is excellent. Uh, there's a Mexican and Italian restaurant over here, which is mostly takeout. Really great choice at reasonable prices. You know, I f- I feel like a promotional thing. Hi, for that's it okay. if works, but I haven't found something that is bad. But. My go-to place actually, you know, is Bucs yeah. Uh, yeah. I like the Guatemala coffee.
0: Take some it, to go if you you'd know. like before you leave. We have That'll save your $3 dollars in
2: your plan today. Yeah. You know. <laughs> actually, I skipped it this morning. So. Yeah, so yeah. here it is. It's, we got it It's fresh. they
3: roasted here. And uh, it's drip coffee, and it's really excellent. So that's my go-to place.
2: Love it.
4: Uh, my go-to is uh, Mezzaluna. I'm there every day. Um, I would say the old school uh, Italian. I love uh, it. Yeah, it's it's just in my blood. Unfortunately, now I know pasta is not good though. So oh I, no, I, I'm sorry. I don't know. <laughs> pasta is um, my
0: favorite. It was an overarching <laughs> comment. I apologize. Yeah,
4: all their sandwiches are really good. I like the uh, the Coliseum. It's uh, fried eggplant, provolone, um, balsamic, and roasted red pepper. So that that's my go-to. Yum, I would
0: say. That's yum, amazing. Yes, please.
5: If I have to pick one, the pizza here is really amazing. White and rosemary, absolute.
0: Delicious. Amazing. Yeah, white pizza.
5: Don't tell me
4: that's not good either.
0: I, I'm
2: not. I'm not judging. I'm not judging. <laughs> All right, you guys. You're new to the building, so obviously your answer's not going to be so, here. Yeah. So I don't have any recommendations here, but I would say from my hometown in Siberia would be um, pelmeni's. Um, my mom's pelmeni's, and pelmeni's are like little dumplings um, that are stuffed with this delicious uh, mixture of different kind of meats. So it's similar to, um, I guess, a ravioli, but the but the pasta part is much much thinner. Um, so that's kind of my Yum. childhood thing. Can you make that? Um, maybe <laughs> haven't, but yes, I can make them. Um, but if uh, locally, uh, I love uh, Yumi Sushi in Red Bank and and Sea That's kind of my my favorite. Same. So yeah, this is my. This
1: will be my first time eating here. I'm going to check out these <laughs> pizza pasta options. Um, I grew up in Philadelphia, so I have to say I love the Philly cheesesteak. So <laughs> Where do you get your steak? Oh, I knew you were gonna ask that. I feel like I've been all around, like patch and it's like everywhere. But now oh, this is so good. But actually I go to South Jersey a lot. I don't know if anyone's been like you know, to like Atlantic City area, but I love the subs there. I mean, I don't know what the, is in that bread, but they yeah. are so good at White House, Dino's. Yeah, White I, house so I good. like, we actually get my mother in law bring some for us like every week when she comes. So we, we eat a lot of that. Um, and then in the area, I we go to Urban Coal House, my whole, that seems to be a crowd favorite in my house. It was old to Tommy's right in Red Bank, and um, the chicken noodle soup is great. I love pizza, P- the salad. I
0: heard their right. wings are good, too. Yeah, they have good wings. wings. so good, everything. <laughs> Amazing. I love that. I love just breaking it down for a minute, because it's just yeah, you know, cause so much Yeah, because we're all, we're all the same. Chat. So we're going to just, um, one more question. Anybody else have a question before Alex? Yes. Alex <laughs> has so Alex question. is taking the mic. And then we're the going to do our raffle.
1: Hi guys, how are
4: we doing? One more. Oh, you? Um, so first thing I should say is you guys will be proud of me because I'm one of those weirdos who actually does not drink coffee. Um, so no Starbucks for me. Some people might call me a sociopath, but we'll just call it that. <laughs> um, so my question is about home ownership. So there's a school of thought out there that says that buying a home is actually not a good investment these days. Um, arguments aside about millennials and avocado toast and not being able to afford to buy houses. <laughs> Um, so what do you guys think about that? Do you think it's still a good idea to buy a house or to rent for as long as possible? What do you think? I, I've actually seen that school of thought. I know it's the uh, Grant Cardone mm-hmm. kind of school of thought. So I'm sure everybody has a different opinion on this, depending on you know where you put your values, what generation you're in, what your industry is. So um, in my personal opinion is, you know, buy as much real estate as you can. They're not making any more of it. So I don't think it's always going to go up. You know, Obviously, we had 2008 when it went down. Mm-hmm. And after to somebody's point who mentioned uh, Warren Buffett, when everybody's selling or can't afford it or they're foreclosing, that's when you buy. If you would have bought in 08 and you're holding now, you're in pretty good shape. So I would say real estate, whether it's home ownership or buying an investment property or a building beach renting any day. Renting, you're just throwing money away. You're leasing.
1: Actually, I'm going to disagree for a second. This is what makes the cookie crumble, right? Yeah. And I do talk to people because I think it definitely comes back to the balance sheet and cash flows. If you are going to buy a house and not keep it for more than like five to seven years, the transaction costs are pretty high. It's pretty hard to overcome that. And over a long term, real estate tends to sort of go up with inflation. I mean, look, there's pockets that go up higher. There's areas, you know, that we all know where it's, you know, the supply is tight. Mm -hmm. But I do tell people, again, to pause on that and to really look at their cash flows and their, you know, how long they're expecting and how much you're giving up in terms of flexibility. Mm -hmm. Because... You know, I think millennials also, they realize that they may not put down roots the same as the older generation did. People don't stay in jobs for 30 years anymore and get their pension and everything. So you may be moving to LA in six months and you put—you spend a lot of time and money on that purchase. So I just tell people to pause and really think through their goals before just- You know, it's so going. interesting because I
0: somewhere, I'm such an independent mind where I'm like, hear you and hear you. but. Interestingly enough, doing what we do, we get emails from people looking for work all the time, and this brings up a a conversation. In this last six months alone, there was two people that were stalking us, needed our help, we got them a job, we finally converted them from a freelance job to a permanent job. They could not have been in the permanent job longer than me sneezing. And they finally got all set up, and we get an email from the hiring manager that they're moving to LA. Like people today are like the wind blowing. You can't, if there's no true, it's very interesting. So for you to say like a, a, someone might just decide to move to LA in six months, it's true. And I'm seeing it from the other stand, at the other standpoint. So, you know, I have no idea how to guide you, but I'm listening to them. If you're not going
2: to stay somewhere for five to seven years and or you're not sure you will, there's a point. And you could do the math too, right? Um, because it also depends on what you could buy. Because to buy, you have to have some cash set aside, right? So, can you buy the same type of property that you could rent? So, I would say that it has to do with individual, like what your plans are in the next in the near future, and to look at the math and see what. Mathematically, make sense, and I agree with the transaction costs. You have to take that into account. Uh, most people don't. Um, to make sure that because you have to buy, then you have to sell. So, um, but it's so it's not a. I don't think it's a cookie cutter answer because it could be good investment in the right circumstances. Does that answer your question?
0: Yes, it does. I don't want mm-hmm. you to move to
2: <laughs> LA. Don't move to works LA. For
0: works for a choice. We're going to open an LA office. <laughs> yeah, right. You could do that for us in LA. Fair I think Paula had a question Thanks, as well. Yes. Yes. yes.
2: What's your advice on for like small businesses and like entrepreneurs? Because uh, I heard a lot about like corporate, like having a 1K. Wait, what is it? Well, yeah, well, okay. for 1K and all of that. But like for a small business, especially like startups and companies like that, what what advice can you give? And besides that, thank you so much. I learned so much from all of you. The advice was great, but yeah, I just want to know that.
3: So so maybe I could start there. Um, So for small businesses, uh, what I do as an advisor is I design tax-advantaged retirement plans for small business. Such as four hundred and one k's, profit sharing plans. If they're a very small business and a startup, a SEP IRA might make sense, or a simple IRA made sense. A lot of it depends on the owner's interest and the what they want to do with their employees. If they want to retain their employees and provide a benefit, then they'll consider a match. Uh, you know, so there's a lot to consider, but. Um, You know, with uh, small businesses, uh, retirement planning becomes very much a focus. The other thing that's important is cash management. Um, Many small businesses, you know, they're just, you know, they don't know uh, how much money they have in the bank. And once they have enough money in the bank, you know, you can make capital decisions on it or you could invest the money. Uh, appropriately for their purpose. It all depends. It's no different than an individual or a family, but it's understanding what their business is all about, their priorities,
5: uh, and helping them invest appropriately for those priorities. So if I can just add one thing from one startup guy to another startup lady here, Uh, it depends on obviously your goals. Um, If you are looking, if you are starting a, like a retail business, and if your goal is cash flow, so everything you said makes sense, but if you're starting a company and eventually your goal is to have a, some sort of exit strategy, find the VCs, or go public, or sell it, then you have to think it in a very different direction. How you want to sort of uh, value your company, whether you want to create a revenue-focused company or an EBITDA-based company. Um, we were a great example kept losing the money, but still kept raising more and more capital, they attracted a lot of talent, not saying follow what Adam Newman did at WeWork, but that's a strategy that startups should look at, what my exit plan is, Mm -hmm. where do I want to get out of there, do I just want to use it as a cash flow, or eventually five, six down the road, if I'm looking to exit, then work on with a VC or an M&A advisory firm, they can help you quite a lot on that.
0: Does that answer your question? Um, Okay, so I think that unless anybody has any last-minute questions, I think that we can wrap up. Um, I can't thank you all enough for being here. This was very enlightening, speaking of enlighten, um, for me and I'm sure for Marissa and our audience. I'd love to do our raffle. Um, Again, for those that didn't hear me at the beginning, we're going to raffle off um, a gift bag of... A couple of things from us at Choice in the Dreamcatchers, uh, a resume or LinkedIn workshop if you have that interest in or need that, and also your choice of a consultation with one of our panelists in whatever capacity that you would like to pick their brain, as well as a signed copy of a book of uh, financial you know, kind of advice book that we were able to obtain from another panelist that couldn't be here, New York City based uh, financial planner. Um, so, if you're interested in participating in the raffle, here is the question Wait, Ready? wait, wait. This seems like a very aggressive crew. So, I just want to make sure you follow the rules. She's going to pose the question, and whoever's hand I see go up first will be how we delineate if you can guess in order and whoever gets the guesses right first will win. Exactly. (laughs) No balking. Go ahead. So our question, actually Marissa came up with it because it was funny and just to be super kitschy and bring it back to just being light and being enlightened, um, we wanted to bring it to money. So who here can tell us what ATM slash bank is in the building? Oh, she definitely answered. She raised her hand. I back saw in that. the back, back in the gray. gray. Can you say her. ocean first? Ocean first. There's our She's winner. winner. <laughs> Woohoo! All right, so come and see us in a, in a minute to uh, claim your prize. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for being here, to our panelists. Thank you to Ming for our sound, and NPZ Design for being our partners and Bellworks. And thank you, Bellworks. 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 And and thank you so much fun. for having all of us yes.
2: here. Yes.